All right, let's turn to the book of Acts in chapter number 7. And we're only covering two verses. And so uh, we're continuing this look at Stephen. And, and again, Stephen's making his defense before the high priest. And we're, we're doing that, but we're, we're looking at the history of Israel. We're, we're looking at Stephen's um, defense of himself. And he's, he's using, really he's calling the history of the nation of Israel to witness. And he's defending himself and, and he's saying, look at the testimony of the past. And so he's calling the past to witness, to, to defend his position and really to call them out. So Acts 7, 42 and 43, it says, Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as is written in the book of Prophets. O you house of Israel, have you, have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, you took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god Repham, figures which you made to worship them, and I will carry you away Babylon. So when we think about Israel, I mean, I always did think about them as they're coming out, think about what they had to do. They, uh, they had to put the blood on the doorpost and the lentils, the Passover lamb. They offered the Passover lamb and the death angel came through and they, they went, you know, the death angel didn't take the life of any of the firstborn in Israel. And then they walk across the Red Sea. I mean, you know, Moses is standing there, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then the Red Sea opens and they walk across on dry land. I mean, that required faith. And I just kind of always have had this, this idea that Israel was faithful coming out, of, coming out of Egypt. But, you know, I haven't thought about them being unfaithful from the very beginning. But I should have. Really, the entire trip from Egypt to Canaan was marked with unfaithfulness. So it shouldn't surprise us when Stephen here is highlighting the unfaithfulness of Israel, even their idolatry in the wilderness wanderings. He's defending himself and he's talking to the, to the high priest about their unfaithfulness and he's looking back and saying, yeah, you're, I mean, you're unfaithful because look at your fathers, they were unfaithful. And, you, and, and you're always calling upon, oh, we're followers of Abraham. But look at your forefathers, how unfaithful they were. So this is a classic example of get the, the beam out of your own eye before you look at the splinter in my eye. They can't see their own unfaithfulness, yet they're going to accuse Stephen of being unfaithful. And, and the reason they stone him is because they think he's unfaithful to the Jewish religion. And so they can't see their unfaithfulness, and yet they're going to stone Stephen to death because they think he is unfaithful. And so we need to learn from this. We need to think about our own faithfulness and so we begin and, and i just want us to think about was israel always faithful as they came out of egypt and i just i just wrote down these aren't in any chronological order but but think about they they didn't want to follow moses did they the first time moses wanted to lead them they they didn't want to follow him they didn't want to leave egypt at all 
God almost had to push them out. Then once they got out of Egypt, they complained because, oh, where's the water at? And then the water you give us is bitter. And, and God fed them with manna every day. And you can see their unfaithfulness because the word manna means what is it? What is this that you're giving us to eat? And so you see their unfaithfulness, and then they didn't like the water or the manna that God gave them, and so they said, we need some meat to eat, right? And so that's when God sent the quail to them, and we know them. they got to Mount Sinai the first time they made an idol of a calf, and then, you know, throughout their entire journey. I mean, those that came out of Egypt, none of them are going into Canaan, and all of them died in the wilderness because of their unfaithfulness. And so we really shouldn't think about Israel in the wilderness wandering, or even coming out of Egypt as being faithful. But that was really, I mean, I always kind of, I never, even though they made the golden calf at Mount Sinai, I never really thought about them being unfaithful. Yet essentially they were. And so Stephen is going to highlight for us here a place where they are unfaithful, and it's something that I hadn't thought about before. I mean, I've read the book of Acts umpteen times. And I've read, you know, and studied the book of Acts. I don't know, I might have even preached through the book of Acts. But this particular thing I hadn't really grasped. It just goes to show you that sometimes as you're reading through a text, it's easy to skip over some of the details because you're just you're reading and for some reason it doesn't it doesn't stick and so with with them practicing idolatry in the wilderness i hadn't thought about it before but here you have it in in verses 42 and 43 it says in verse 42 then god turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven they rejoiced in the work of their own hands. And so I, I want you to think about that. They, when they rejoiced in the work of their own hands, that's, we're going to find that in the book of Amos in chapter number 5 in just a little bit. But they think about that. They thought their way was the best way. They didn't like what God had given them. The, the tabernacle that God had established wasn't good enough. The, 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 covenant, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, that, that wasn't good enough for them. They, they had to add something to it, and, and they went and made their own idols. And they were led down the wrong path. And I thought about it as I was studying this, I thought about how often... The work of our own hands leads us down the wrong path. They lead us down the wrong path because, you know, we're depending on our own works to make ourselves justified. If I just do this, you know, we can't, faith is not enough. You know, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and not out of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, so we can't do any work to add to the grace of God in our lives. God uses faith in Him, in Jesus Christ, to be the means whereby uh, we are saved. It's by grace. We can't add anything to it. And yet, there's, there's whole groups that think. They can't take God at His word and say, by grace are you saved. No, you need to add baptism to it. 
or no, you need to add the seven sacraments to it. They, they can't just take what God said, for by grace are you saved through faith. They have to add to it the work of their own hands, something that they can do. And that's exactly what the children of Israel did. They didn't take what God had said and what God had given them. They wanted to add something to it, and it led them down the wrong path. And because it led them down the wrong path, it says, these words... God gave them up. That should cause us some pause to think that God gave them up. What does that mean? It's more or less God saying, okay, you want it? Go right ahead. I'm not going to stop you. You know, it brings to my mind God giving them up brings to my mind Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1 and and verse number 28 says this, And even as God did not like to, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up, gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are uh, not convenient. And so that phrase, God giving them up, is God turning them over to their own desires. And that's what God did with the nation of Israel here. God giving them up, that phrase means giving them up to a reprobate mind. It means a vain and empty mind, worthless, good for nothing, devoid of all true knowledge and judgment, incapable of approving what is truly good, or of disapproving that which is evil, a mind that has lost all conscience of things and is disapproved by God and all good men. By the way, you want to know why people live in sin the way they do? It's because God has given them up to a reprobate mind. He's given them up in a reprobate mind and they they can't comprehend what is good. They don't see the evil in what they're doing. And they don't see what God defines as good because God has given them up to a reprobate mind. They cannot see what is good. So when I read that phrase, God gave the children of Israel up, it makes me think about God giving men up, becoming vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart darkened. That's where I think the children of Israel were in this case is God has given them up and said, okay, you want to worship the gods of heaven and you really think that cow is what brought you out of Egypt and go ahead and worship it. God gave them up. Do you think it's serious that God gave them up? That He gave them up to follow whatever was in their heart? I think it's a serious thing. And, and so the judgment of God upon their sin. But it makes me pause to think that if God gave up the children of Israel, should we guard God giving us up? We we can't take unfaithfulness lightly. We, We can't say, oh, well, you know, it's no big deal that we do this or we do that. I think it's serious to God that He takes His worship seriously. That when we come together 
It's a serious thing to God, and we can't take it lightly. So we need to be careful that we don't fall into unfaithfulness. And we need to think about places where we might be giving something in this world priority over God. We need to guard against that. When we begin to value something in this world with a higher value than we value God. We need to guard against that. It, it appears here there's a point when God says, okay, enough's enough. I'm going to let you go ahead and do what you want to do, and I'm going to allow you to suffer the consequences. And we're talking about the people that came across the Red Sea, and they wanted to worship the host of heaven, it says in Acts 7, 42. The host of heaven. God will allow them to pray to the host of heaven, to false gods. And I thought about that. I thought, do they really think they're going to find help in praying to the host of heaven? If they pray to Molech, or if they pray to Rephan, or Remphan, or any of the others, do they really think they're going to find help in that little God that they've made with their own hands? They're turning their hearts from Him. And this is what I thought about as I, as I studied this. You're seeing just how unfaithful the children of Israel were to God. And they're going to die in the wilderness. But is God going to be faithful to the nation of Israel and fulfill the promises that He says He would fulfill in them as a nation? And the answer is yes. Even though they are unfaithful to Him, He is going to accomplish His purpose in the nation of Israel. Let's never forget that. They were unfaithful to Him, but He was faithful to them. So let's never forget that fact. God is faithful to His calling upon them as a nation. He's going to continue to work His plan in their lives. And it tells us that they worshipped idols in the wilderness. At the end of verse 42, O ye house of Israel, have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifice by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Is what he's saying. Hey, did you offer to me sacrifices? Only? No. Verse 43, you took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your God, Rephim, figures which you made to worship them. Turn back to the book of Amos in chapter number 5, and Amos talks about this time. Uh, Stephen is actually referring to this uh, prophecy by Amos. And that's not an easy book to find, is it? Hosea, this is the way I do it. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. So there you go. If you can find one of them, you'll know you're in the neighborhood. Chapter number 5 and verses 25 and 26. This is what Amos had to say as he's prophesying against Israel. Have you offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, of house, O house of Israel? But you have borne the tabernacle of your Molech and your Chiun, your images, the star of your God, which you have made yourselves. Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. The idols they worship. Now, I know you've heard this before, I think. 
but Molech. Do you know what was involved in the worship of Molech? The Bible tells us, and you hear this phrase all the time, they made their children pass through the fire to Molech. Do you know what that is? Just let me read you this statement by John Gill. Though all idolatrous places were in Jerusalem, Molech was without Jerusalem, and it was made in hollow image, placed within seven chancels or chapels. And whoever offered fine flour, they opened to him the first. If turtle doves or two young pigeons, they opened the second. If a lamb, they opened the third. If a ram, they opened the fourth. If a calf, they opened the fifth. If an ox, they opened the sixth. But whosoever opened his son, they opened the seventh. They would take their child and place it in the hands of Molech. And the fire would be lit in Molech, and the fire would burn and consume the child. And there were some other things they added to it. They added some things to it, some, some musical instruments and things, so that the parents, the father, could not hear the cry of the child. But they literally gave their child to be burned alive. When we think about the unfaithfulness of Israel. This is not a little thing that they did. This is a great sin. And I know it's difficult for us to comprehend that someone would offer their child as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice. But history proves they did. You know, I, I, I can remember watching uh, a video or a report about in Africa them taking their children on the riverbank and throwing them into a river that was full of crocodiles and the crocodiles consuming that child. I mean, pagans will go to, to great lengths to keep the gods at bay. You know, you see, you watch movies and you see these sacrifices that people are making and you've even seen, you know, uh, making human sacrifices. And the first one, up, there's, there was a Indiana Jones movie that, that's there and then I think Joe and the Giant Volcano, you know, and they're going to, I don't know. But anyway, you've seen it before. You know what I'm talking about. And we might think, well, that's outlandish, a human sacrifice. Not in the past. But you know, we have people who are sacrificing their children today. Think about the ways that people are sacrificing their children. They're aborting their children and they're offering their offspring to the God of sex. You can think about families who are offering their children to the God of sports or turning them over to a secular education with no godly education. And, and we could stop and think about what people are doing and allowing in their lives, and they're not thinking about the outcome and the effect that it's having on their children. And essentially what they're doing is offering their child up to the God of this world. 
because they're allowing those things to become first and primary in their life. And they're not seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. People are turning their children over to the ways of the world every single day. And you might ask yourself, well, how is it that they could offer this, their child to Molech? And it's because it was a societal norm. I mean, hey, everybody else is doing it. It was normal. And folks will do what is normal. Not because it's the right thing, but because it's what everybody else is doing and it's become, it's become what the culture is. And you can think about people who are allowing their children to do things because that's what everybody else does. One of the things that I heard this, this week and the last couple of weeks is how damaging it is to a child to give them a cell phone. Like nine-year-olds having a cell phone is damaging to them. It, it causes mental problems in that child. Physical mental problems. And yet, we're turning them over to them. And there's lots of studies on that. And I, and I just listened to one or two reports about it. But, but it's, it's actually having a physical effect on children's brains by giving them a cell phone. And then you think about, you're turning them over to every type of wickedness that is in the world. The most wicked and defiled things that you can think of, it's right there on that cell phone. And you're giving them free access to it. You're saying, oh no, I can guard my children against it. No, you can't. There's ways around it and parents aren't smart enough to stop their kids from accessing things that their parents don't want them to access. But here we go. Everybody's got to have a cell phone. So I'm going to give you one. And you're opening them up to all kinds of wickedness. It's a societal norm, right? I can remember talking to... Uh, some of my buddies about the American flag in the church, whether we should have the American flag in a church and how someone from a foreign country would come in and how would they feel about having an American flag here, especially if they were an oppressed people. Uh, but anyway, we got to talking about Germany. And I can remember making the statement, listen, if I lived in Germany at the time of the Second World War, I would have been persuaded probably to follow along with the Third Reich and, and exterminate the Jews and all that because it was a societal norm. It was what everyone's doing. And, and a lot of times you just go the way of society. It's just kind of natural. It's the normal thing to do. And that's how these people could get involved in idol worship is because it was just what the culture was coming to. And so it's just what everyone else is doing. And so it was not really any big thing to, to offer your son to Molech or to offer him to Repham or any of those things. It was just the natural thing to do. And so people did it. And we need to guard against that. We need to guard against the culture determining what is acceptable for us and what we should be doing with our time and what we should be doing with our talents and how we should be living our lives because we may be following the cultural norm and be following the cultural norm on the pathway to hell. So we need to guard. They set up this worship of Repham. That's worship of Saturn. And it seems that th this worship of the Sabbath day and Saturn, or the, you know, the Saturday, the Sabbath day, led to 
the worship of Saturn, because remember Saturn is named after, or Saturday is named after Saturn, the god Saturn. And so they began to worship that. As a matter of fact, I found this in my study. Ibn Ezra associates Saturn with the fourth commandment, ordaining one to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And explains that this correspondence allows the Jews, by not occupying themselves with everyday matters, but devoting themselves solely to the fear of God on this day to protect themselves from Saturn's baneful influence and also to improve the quality of their religious belief. It seems like the Jews incorporate this worship of Saturn into their culture. And it wasn't just during the days of the Exodus that it continued on throughout the ages. And so this worship of Repham is something that has continued on for the Jews. And you notice, they are figures which you made. They made idols with their own hands. This is not them slipping up. This is not them doing something unconsciously. This is on purpose, out of worship. This is surrendering themselves to something they know that is not God-honoring. What was the result of their idol worship? Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. The reason they went into captivity was because of their idol worship. And I want you to notice it says there in Amos 5.37, I will cause you to go into captivity. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, even though they were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar had the power to defeat Jerusalem because God gave him the power. God is using Babylon to uh, chasten Israel. To... Get their hearts to turn back to God. So in order to get them to turn their hearts back to God, God uses Babylon to chasten them. So, so Stephen, I mean there's some history maybe that you didn't know about the nation of Israel and I wanted to share it with you today. Because it's something that I learned kind of new. But Stephen wants to leave no doubt of the unfaithfulness of Israel throughout their history. He's providing ample evidence that they are following in the footsteps of their forefathers. But unfaithfulness here is a family trait. If you read on down, he says, verse 51, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. They do always resist the Holy Spirit. So it challenges us to look at the nation of Israel and see how they turned from their faithfulness to God and turned into unfaithfulness and how they allowed idolatry to creep into their lives. And it challenges us to think about our lives <coughs> and to think how we might be allowing the things of this world to creep into our lives. And we want to make sure that we're not stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Make sure that we're not hard-hearted, that we can't listen to the Holy Spirit, and that we will resist the Holy Spirit, and we will turn from our faithfulness. Let's guard against that, and let's take this lesson 
of the nation of Israel to heart. And let's make sure to maintain our hearts in faithfulness to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity we have to learn from your word. And we thank you for the truths that we find in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.